السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم Welcome back to the final or penultimate day of the conference. Uh, we are all slightly more tired than last time, I mean yesterday I'm sure, but uh, the talk is rather important because this is one of the key talks which would help us, inshallah, to better uh, represent ourselves with our neighbors, uh, many of whom are quite obviously and apparently non-Muslims. And unless we of course get this topic well you know, under our belt in, in, a, in a practical way, we are not going to be able to uh, simply score points by making academic remarks. So it's a very practical, practically needed discussion. And the speaker, I think many of us have already experienced his uh, Fajr prayer and Maghrib prayer, as well as the youth seminar that he's doing, is uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif from the USA. Um, he's going to talk about being the best neighbors in our society for about an hour, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakumullah khairan. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <coughs> First of all, this is my uh, first trip here to the UK, and I'd just like to say, you know, a warm salam to all of you, and it's my pleasure to see so many new faces, alhamdulillah, and I'd like to say that uh, I love you for the sake of Allah. <clears throat> Concerning the topic, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an the story of Ashab al-Sabt, the people of Saturday. Ashab al-Sept were a townsfolk that were commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to desist from their activities and their work on Saturday. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then tested them. Because they were into fishing and to fishery, that they would fish all week long and on Saturday they would leave aside their fishing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested them because of their transgression that they were doing with an abundant amount of fish on Saturday. And so they would come all week long and there would be no fish. And then Saturday would come and all the fish would just be flopping onto the, onto the beach. And so they were desiring so badly to fish on that day, but they were commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to do so. So a group of them, they called 1-800-FATWA. You know 1-800-FATWA or do you have... I think it might be a different number here. 1900 fatwa to get a loophole into the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so what they did was they put their nets out on Friday. They put their nets out on Friday. And then when the fish would come on Saturday, the fish would get caught. And they would be, you know, uh, resting on that day. Then Sunday would come, they would pick up the fish in the nets. And they would say that we didn't fish on Saturday. But, you know, only our nets were out on that day. And they actually tried a loophole into the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks about what happened. Not necessarily, these were the evildoers in, in, this, in the town. And it wasn't the whole town that was doing it. But then the community divided into two groups. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, بَعْدَ نَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَاسْأَلْهُمْ عَنِ الْقَرْيَةِ الَّتِي كَانَتْ حَاضِرَةَ الْبَحْرِ إِذْ يَعْدُونَ فِي السَّبْتِ إِذْ تَأْتِيهِمْ حِيْتَانُهُمْ يَوْمَ سَبْتِهِمْ إِذْ تَأْتِيهِمْ حِيْتَانُهُمْ يَوْمَ سَبْتِهِمْ شُرَّعًا وَيَوْمَ لَا يَسْبِتُونَ لَا تَأْتِيهِمْ كَذَلِكَ نَبْلُوهُمْ بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسُقُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاسْأَلْهُمْ And ask them, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, about the town that were by the sea, when they transgressed in the matter of the Sabbath, in the Saturday, when their fish came to them openly on the Sabbath day, and did not come to them on the day, when they had no, had no Sabbath, كَذَلِكَ in such a way, Nabluhum, we had a trial and tested them bima kanu yafsukun because of how they used to rebel against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command. So now they divided into two groups. One of the groups wanted to command the good and forbid the evil. They wanted to hold back the hands of the people that were fishing on Saturday. And the other group was telling them, Why are you bothering with the people which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will eventually destroyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran in those verses وَإِذْ قَالَتْ أُمَّةٌ مِّنْهُمْ لِمَ تَعِظُونَ قَوْمًا إِلَّهُ مُهْلِكُهُمْ أَوْ مُعَذِّبُهُمْ عَذَابًا شَدِيدًا they said why are you trying to preach to a people whom Allah is about to destroy or to punish them with a severe Torment. And the reply of the dua was, قَالُوا مَعْذِرَةً إِلَىٰ رَبِّكُمْ وَلَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the, and, and we should pay attention to the reply, they said, قَالُوا مَعْذِرَةً إِلَىٰ رَبِّكُمْ As an excuse for us, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِلَىٰ رَبِّكُمْ To your Lord, وَلَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ And perhaps they may actually follow the guidance and perhaps they may actually desist. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks about what happened to Ashab al-Sabt. When the punishment came down upon them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا نَسُوا مَا ذُكِّرُوا بِهِ أَنْجَيْنَا الَّذِينَ يَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ السُّوءِ وَأَخَذْنَا الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا بِعَذَابٍ بَئِيسٍ بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسُقُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that finally when those people forgot and left aside the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and جَيْنَ الَّذِينَ We saved who? يَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ السُّوءِ Those people who used to forbid the evil. The people that were actually Involved in the da'wah, they were the ones who were saved. وَأَخَذْنَا الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا بِعَذَابٍ بَئِيسٍ بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسُقُونَ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And we seized those who did wrong with the severe torment because they used to rebel against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's commandments. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا عَتَوْا عَمَّا نُهُوا عَنْهُ قُلْنَا لَهُمْ كُونُوا قِرَدَةً خَاسِئِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when they exceeded the limits 
of what they were prohibited, we said to them, Be you monkeys, despised and rejected. So in a sweeping night, all those people who were involved in the fishing on the Saturday were converted into monkeys. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed their creation. It's a maskh. And they were turned into monkeys as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran. But they weren't the only ones. Not just the people who were fishing. Every person in that society was turned into monkeys except those people who used to forbid the evil. The people that were quiet, the people that were sitting in their houses doing nothing, just sticking to the television and, and living their life in such a way, they were also turned into monkeys with the people when they were punished. Dear brothers and sisters, it's the nature of a human being to want to do good and to have a desire or, or feel that they want to hold back from evil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Fajr, إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَقَسَمٌ لِذِي حِجْرٍ لِذِي حِجْرٍ And you'll see in the translation, it'll say, to people of intelligence. And hijr is, the meaning of it, it means to boycott. It means to boycott or desist from something. And they say that a person of intelligence is called that, the hijr, because their mind stops them from committing evils. When you see an animal, for example, killing another animal or doing something wrong, it has no intelligence to make it stop from doing evil. But a, a human has something in their mind to stop them, and that's why they're called the hij. So a person has this ability to either want to do good or to feel that they shouldn't do evil. But as an ummah, ummah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that's not enough for us. That's not enough. For us to do good, we have to encourage other people to do good. And it's not enough for us to desist from evil and say that, oh, as long as we're not doing bad, then it's okay. That's not enough. We have to make sure that other people are also desisting from their evil. If we had Muslim identification badges and you pulled it out and someone would say, are you a Muslim? And he says, yes, here's my identification badge. And on the identification badge, there would be characteristics of that Muslim. You would see one of the characteristics that who is a Muslim? They are someone who commands the good and forbids the evil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كُنْتُمْ خَيْرَ أُمَّةٍ أُخْرِجَتْ لِلنَّاسِ That you, the people who believe in Tawheed, كُنْتُمْ خَيْرَ أُمَّةٍ were the best or are the best of people ever raised up for mankind. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then explains this khayru ummah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, تَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَتَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَتُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, because you command the good, وَتَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ and you forbid other people from uh, the munkar, from the evil, وَتُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ and you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When it comes to this good and bad, there are two groups of people which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains to us in the Qur'an when it comes to the encouragement. There's one group of people that command the good and forbid the evil and these are the believers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتُ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضُ 
يأمرون بالمعروف وينهون عن المنكر ويقيمون الصلاة ويقيمون الصلاة ويؤتون الزكاة ويطيعون الله ورسوله أولئك سيرحمهم الله إن الله عزيز حكيم الله سبحانه وتعالى says that the believing men and women are the awliya and, and it comes close from the word wali awliya are awliya of each other ya'muruna bil ma'ruf that they command the good wa yanhawna 'anil munkar and they forbid the evil allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another verse teaches us another party of people and they are the opposite in fact they are the ones who command the evil and they forbid the good. So if they see someone, for example, giving in a fundraiser or helping other people with money, they'll try to stop them from giving. Or they may encourage the people to do some sort of vice or do some sort of evil in the community. These are the munafiqeen. These are the munafiqeen, the hypocrites. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الْمُنَافِقُونَ وَالْمُنَافِقَاتُ بَعْضُهُمْ مِّن بَعْضٍ يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمُنْكَرِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَقْبِضُونَ أَيْدِيَهُمْ نَسُوا اللَّهَ فَنَسِيَهُمْ إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ هُمُ إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ هُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ الله سبحانه وتعالى says المنافقون والمنافقات that the hypocrites men and women are from one another they enjoin or encourage al-munkar, which is the evil, وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمَعْرُوفِ And they forbid people from doing the good things and doing the things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because we're all looking for success, and you'll see for example, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Whenever a mu'min reads in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about falah, they go to that falah. And they try to implement what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. And so the path of success for the believers is the path of Amr bil ma'roof, nahi anil munkar. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us in the Quran that other nations were destroyed because they sat on their backs and they didn't do anything. And they didn't command the good and they didn't forbid the evil. They would have in their communities people who would do evil. And they would tell them, but then after that, that would not stop them from inviting them over to their house and being kind to them as if they were doing nothing. And so there was no, nothing actually happening. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, and when we hear these stories in the Qur'an about the people that came before us, it's so that we take heed because if we, don't, if we do what they did, our end will be the same end as theirs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لُعِنَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِن بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ عَلَى لِسَانِ دَاوُدَ وَعِيسَى بْنِ مَرْيَمَ ذَلِكَ بِمَا عَصَوْا وَكَانُوا يَعْتَدُونَ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when He says that certain people were cursed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just, just doesn't leave it at that. Allah azza wa jal tells us why. And so a Muslim in fact when they say, you know, such and such a people were cursed, and then someone says, well why were they cursed? And they say, no, no, you're not supposed to ask. That's not true. We do ask, why were they cursed? 
If for the simple reason that we don't want to fall into that same situation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you say, Lu'ina, and then you'll see in the verse, saying, Thalika, that is because of. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Lu'ina alladheena kafaru min bani Israel. That cursed are those from among the children of Israel who disbelieved, they were cursed by the tongue of Dawood alayhi salam and by the tongue of Isa ibn Maryam alayhi salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ذَلِكَ bima asaw. This was because they disobeyed. يعتدون, and they used to transgress beyond the bounds. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us what was this transgression that they were doing. Allah Azza wa Jal says, كَانُوا لَا يَتَنَاهَوْنَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that they never used to forbid one another from al-munkar. They never would forbid the munkar amongst them which they committed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying what an evil thing that they used to do. That they would never forbid their community from the evils. And in fact, if our community falls into this, and we do not command the good and forbid the evil, and this doesn't just apply for Muslims, but it applies to the kuffar that surround us in this country and other countries. When we don't do this, a punishment may come down upon us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when the punishment comes down upon us, that's when the masajid become full. And that's when the hands raised to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to save us from the punishment. And in such a case, the dua will cease to be answered by Allah Azza wa Jal. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, this is narrated by Imam Ahmad, the Tirmidhi. He said, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لَتَأْمُرُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَلَتَنْهَوُنَّ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ أَوْ لَيَبْعَثَنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَيْكُمْ عِقَابًا مِّنْهِ ثُمَّ تَدْعُونَهُ فَلَا يُسْتَجَابُ لَكُمْ and then, in fact, in another narration, O yal'anakum kama la'anahum. The Prophet ﷺ said that I swear by he who holds my soul in his hands that you indeed, and it's a commandment, that for sure you will command the good and for sure you will forbid the evil or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall rain down upon you a punishment, then you will attempt to invoke him with your invocation with dua, فَلَا يُسْتَجَابُ لَكُمْ And then in such a situation, those dua will go unanswered. And in another narration, the Prophet ﷺ said, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will curse you as He cursed them, those people that came before us. And the Prophet ﷺ, he taught us of a village who was engrossed in their sin, in their in their uh, evil and their munkar. And many of our cities that we live in are, are like this. They've become the examples, the, the headquarters of the sin that goes out to the world. The Prophet ﷺ told us of a town that had this, had this case, and Allah sent the angels to destroy them. And then they said, Ya Allah, there's a pious person, a very righteous man who lives in this village. He's a worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, very righteous. And they said, how could we punish the people when this man is in it? 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them to begin the punishment with this guy. That when, that when those rocks come down, the burning rocks from the heavens, the first rock to hit is the rock of that, of that worshiper. And why is this so? Because even though they, that person was worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he was not commanding the good and he was not forbidding the evil. And you'll see this, people may go to the masjid and their same children and family may not be coming to the masjid with them. And they'll say, why don't you come to the masjid with your children? They'll say, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. Even though the Prophet ﷺ said, كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ That everyone is a shepherd and everyone is responsible. They are responsible for the flock that they've been entrusted with. Our Qudwa ﷺ, our example, he lived his entire life commanding the good and forbidding the evil. And when he first arrived in Medina, and that blessed day when he came in, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and all the Ansar al-Muhajirin, they all gathered around. I'm going to read for you the first moments that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam spoke to the Ansar. عن عبد الله بن سلام رضي الله عنه قال لما قدم رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم المدينة انجعل الناس إليه وقيل قدم رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فجئت في الناس لأنظر لأنظر إليه فلما استبنت وجه رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عرفت أن وجهه ليس بوجه كذاب فكان أول شيء تكلم به صلى الله عليه وسلم أن قال يا أيها الناس أفشوا السلام وأطعموا الطعام وصلوا بالليل والناس نيام تدخل الجنة بسلام عبد الله بن السلام رضي الله عنه he narrates that he was one of the people that was there at present when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم came to Medina for the first time in his hijrah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And they came just to see what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam looked like. And he says that when he saw the face of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he, know, he knew immediately that this was not the face of someone, he was, this was not the face of a liar. And then he said, radiallahu anhu, that the first thing that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to the Ansar, said to the people that gathering who had come, and you'll see at this moment, the Prophet ﷺ encouraging the good, and henceforth forbidding the evil. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, Afshu salam. He said, spread salam amongst you. Even some things like this, we've lost this in our community. Afshu salam. Spread the salam amongst you. People that you know, people that you don't know. وَأَطْعِمُ الطَّعَامُ And feed the hungry people. In the community. وَصَلُّوا بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّاسُ نِيَامِ And pray in the night when other people are sleeping. تَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةِ بِسَلَامِ And you will enter Jannah in peace. And so the Prophet ﷺ would take the opportunity. When he had the ear of the people, he would command the good. And he would forbid the evil wasallam. And the Prophet ﷺ wouldn't only speak to one class of people. 
you'll see him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that even the children, and you'll see right now, you may go outside and you'll find children that aren't in the lecture, running around playing football and so on, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would even advise them. And he wouldn't let the opportunity pass, except that he would tell them, and you'll see many ahadith, you go at Arba'in al Nawi or you go in the major ahadith, you will find the Prophet ﷺ speaking to a child. Which then becomes a lesson for all of us. You'll see the hadith starting off, Ya Ghulam, and such and such. The Prophet ﷺ, this hadith is reported in Bukhari and Muslim. It says that Umar ibn Abi Salama says, "Kuntu ghulaman fi hajir Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa kanat yadi tatishu fi sahfa faqala liya Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ya ghulam sammillah wa kul bi yaminik wa kul mimma yadik fama zala tilka ti'mati ba'd Umar ibn Abu Salama radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he narrates, and he was a child at this time. He said, when I was a young boy, under the care of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, my hand, and they had come and they had gathered, and they were all eating together. He said that my hand was jumping here and there in the food plate. And that would be similar if you're eating with someone and there's a piece of chicken or something on the other side. The boy is taking the piece of chicken, he's bringing it to his side. Someone has a glass of orange juice, he brings it to himself. And his hand is going all around in the food plate. And so you'll see the Prophet ﷺ, جَوَامِعِ الْكَلِمِ Just summarizing exactly for all of us how every Muslim should eat, but he's speaking to the boy. He says, and normally what, what parents may do today is they'll hit the boy at this point. A boy does this, they'll hit them. But the Prophet ﷺ said, Ya Ghulam, which is of the most beautiful ways of addressing a young child. He said, ﷺ, Ya Ghulam, Sammillah. He said, O young boy, Sammillah, say Bismillah before you eat. Wakul biyaminik, and eat with your right hand. Wakul mimmayalik, and eat from that which is in front of you. And we know this is a lesson that every Muslim then learned after that. Umar ibn Abu Salama radiallahu anhu, he said actually that after that day, it's not that he was a child that didn't learn the lesson. After the Prophet ﷺ had told him that, he became the narrator of the hadith. And he said, ever after that, this was the way I would eat and how he taught the ummah by the way the Prophet ﷺ taught him. And he was the best teacher ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ would also address the women, and the women specifically. We see in Eid Salah, for example, the Prophet ﷺ would speak, and then he would take Bilal radiallahu anhu, and go and address the women specifically. And of the things he would say, radiallahu anhu, عن زينب امرأة عبد الله بن مسعود عنها وعنه, قالت خطبنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال يا معشر النساء تصدقنا ولو من حليكن the Prophet ﷺ, Zainab, the wife of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anha, said that Allah's Messenger ﷺ addressed us and spoke specifically to the women. And he said, O women, give charity to Saddaqna, even if it be with your jewelry. And actually, subhanAllah, in, um, in Washington, 
in the fundraisers, a lot of time people, uh, they just focus on the men. And I think that may be the downfall to the fundraising, by just focusing on the men, because we know that the sisters have the wallets with them. And the money, and, and if you don't believe me, you go to the souk, the sister's souk here, it's two times bigger than the brother's souk. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? I had once, we were doing a fundraiser, and I was preparing um, some special words just for the sisters. And then in the middle of the fundraiser, I realized that the sisters were giving twice as much as the brothers. And I said to myself, I wish I had prepared something extra special for the brothers, so that they could also, inshallah, follow the example. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't leave them. And he, every class and every group of the community, he would command the good and forbid the evil wasallam. Even with his own wives wasallam, in their own homes, he wouldn't allow for something to happen, something wrong to happen, except that he would command the good and forbid the evil even in his own home. This hadith is narrated by Abu Dawood. عن أبي حذيفة عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت قلت للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حسبك من صفية كذا وكذا قال غير مسدد تعني قصيرة فقال لقد قلت كلمة لو مزجت بماء البحر لمزجته قالت وحكيت له إنسانا فقال ما أحب أني حكيت إنسانا وأن لي كذا وكذا عائشة رضي الله عنها she narrates this hadith. She herself is the narrator. And she said that at one time, she said to the Prophet ﷺ, Watch out for Safiya. And she said, meaning that Safiya was short. And she said, Watch out for Safiya, Safiya is short. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, that you've said a word, that if you were to try to mix it with the water of the sea, the water, uh, that word would overcome the waters. And that basically, I don't know if you have um, dishwashing soap. Do you guys use dishwashing Okay. If you have dishwashing soap, if you put a little bit in it, you put a few drops and then you have the water, it then becomes clean. But if you keep pouring it and pouring it and pouring it, it'll come to a point where there will be no more presence of the water, where the dishwashing soap will overcome that water. And so the Prophet ﷺ saying was this word, that if you were to try to clean it with the water of the seas, it would overcome the water. It would overcome the water by how enormous it is for someone to speak about someone else. Now Aisha radiallahu anha, and this was the way of the Sahaba. When they saw something, they would immediately turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She said that after that, that I would never like to speak about someone even if I was to get kada wa kada. Basically, in our American city, even if someone was to give them a million dollars, they would not do it. And subhanAllah, many times, no one gives us a million dollars to, to backbite, but people are ready, you know, ready to do it without anything. Even though this is what the Prophet said. And this is what our deen is all about. The entire deen is all about this commanding of good, and forbidding the evil. And in fact, when they came and they gave bay'ah to Rasulullah, this is what they gave bay'ah to. Ubad ibn Samit says, 
بايعنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم على السمع والطاعة في المنشط والمكره وأن لا ننازع الأمر أهله وأن نقوم أو نقول بحق بالحق حيثما كنا لا نخاف في الله لوم تلائم He says, Ubaid ibn Samad radiallahu anhu, he said that we pledged allegiance and we gave bay'ah to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to listen and obey in what we like and what we dislike. And so in fact, when we have proper leaders, that this is how it is. Whether something happens that we like or we dislike, we listen and obey. As Ubaid ibn Samad radiallahu anhu is saying, and that we would not fight the people of authority. And that we would stand for the truth. Meaning that we would tell the truth, forbid the evil, and stand for the truth wherever we may be, fearing not for the sake of Allah, any criticism of anyone who would criticize us. Again, let me repeat that. He said, and that we would stand for the truth wherever we may be, fearing not for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, any criticism of those who would criticize. And this was narrated by Bukhari and Muslim. I remember in Islamic school once, there was uh, some boys in our class, and, and it affected me greatly because I went to public school, and in our public schools we had birthdays. And it was a very big um, scene to have a birthday because you would then, by the people you invited to your birthday, you would raise the status of some people, and if you didn't invite others, you would lower their status. So when the cool children in the, in the class, do you say cool or do you say awesome? Someone is awesome? The awesome kids in the, uh, in the class, they would, um, whoever they would invite, you know, the status would go up tremendously. Whoever they didn't would go down. So whenever their birthday was coming up, everybody would be waiting to see who is it that was going to be invited. So one of the children in our class, and this is just a reaction, he came up to me and he said, that, Brother Muhammad, guess what I'm getting for my birthday? And this is Islamic studies class in, in Islamic school. He said, what, uh, guess what I'm getting for my birthday? And I said, birthday? Like, well, we don't celebrate birthdays. And I just left it at that. And I know some people are confused now because they might be celebrating birthdays also. But it's not part of our deen to celebrate the birthdays. But then the children, and I didn't tell them to do this, but they started going off in the class and they started banging their tables and they said no more birthdays no more birthdays no more this is grade 2 they started saying this and, and I, like I said I didn't tell them to do this and this in fact made the child cry right but, and he's saying like no no it's not a birthday it's just you know a gathering of people and so on but that aside may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for perhaps hurting the child's feelings but at that moment I realized that here in the Islamic school, the peer pressure was opposite. It was actually an atmosphere where if someone wanted to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they had the support of the people around them. The most important thing, to have that support of people. And the children in fact, whenever they would learn things in, in the classes, they would go home and teach their parents. So much so that one of the children in our class he, he learned that he's not supposed to do rukur or sujood to any human being. And when they would play in the masjid, we would say, and you know, they're playing in the masjid, and then all of a sudden the principal, I think he said grandmaster here or something, what? 
When the principal would come in, right, everybody stands at attention, they have khushur and stuff, and then they look to see if the principal is coming. And then they, uh, they pray like that, only when the principal's there. If the principal starts praying, then they go back to their, they go back to their playing. So I would say to them, that who are you worshipping, the, the principal or Allah? You know, and, the, and you know, their, their energy comes out there, and we're worshipping Allah. And then I said, then why do you have khushur only when the principal comes? Then you must be worshipping the principal. And so, the children in fact, they become very, you know, um, like this point, whenever they'll see someone playing in the masjid, they'll go and shout at them. They go, who are you worshipping? Allah or the principal? And then, you know, they'll take it to extreme sometimes. And so we, we like to say Jazakallah Khairan for those parents that are trying to take those children out of such an atmosphere. An atmosphere in the public schools that encourages the children to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those parents that are trying to change the atmosphere for the children so that they're in a place where they are in a fertile atmosphere where they can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not saying that a person won't transgress in such a situation, but the pressures upon them will be less so that they have more chance of coming closer to Allah Azza wa Jal. The Prophet Sallallahu gave us an enormous example. <clears throat> when he said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, مَثَلُ الْقَائِمِ عَلَى حُدُودِ اللَّهِ وَالْوَاقِعِ فِيهَا كَمَثَلِ قَوْمٍ اِسْتَهَمُوا عَلَى سَفِينَةٍ فَأَصَابَ بَعْضُهُمْ أَعْلَاهَا وَبَعْضُهُمْ أَسْفَلَهَا فَكَانَ الَّذِينَ فِي أَسْفَلِهَا إِذَا اسْتَقَوْا مِنَ الْمَاءِ مَرُّوا عَلَى مَنْ فَوْقَهُمْ فَقَالُوا لَوْ أَنَّا خَرَقْنَا فِي نَصِيبِنَا خَرْقًا وَلَمْ نُؤْذِ مَنْ فَوْقَنَا فَإِنْ يَتْرُكُهُمْ وَمَا أَرَادُوا هَلَكُوا جَمِيعًا وَإِنْ أَخَذُوا عَلَى أَيْدِيهِمْ نَجَوْا وَنَجَوْا جَمِيعًا The Prophet said that the example, the parable, of someone who is steadfast on the hudud of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on the borders of Allah and is, and is practicing Islam. And the example of those people who have fallen over the hudud are like a group of people who found themselves all together on one boat. And so the good people, the ones on hudud Allah, they took the, the higher level of the boat. And the people who were falling over the hudud of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they took the bottom portion of the boat. And now as they're traveling together, they need water. The people on top, they just dip their hands into the water and they're drinking. And you see subhanAllah, a lot of the books, they're called al-mawrid. And you know, it comes back, the, the example of the water, of the, you know, the people getting the ilm as if, you know, it's water coming to the person. So the Prophet said, and the people on the top, they just easily take the water. But the people on the bottom, they have to bother the people on the top to get the water. They have to, you know, knock on the door and say, excuse me, can we get a glass of water, right? Can we get a glass of water? So they, keep, they have to keep bothering them like this. So finally, they say to themselves, look, Let's not bother those people in the masjid. Let's not bother those people worshipping Allah. Let's just pop our own hole right here on the bottom of the boat. And get our own water. Right? Out of their ignorance. And they do things out of ignorance. 
And so the Prophet ﷺ, obviously if they pop the, uh, the hole, the boat will drown. The Prophet ﷺ said that if they allow them to pop the hole at the bottom of the boat, they will not be the only ones that drown. They will all drown together. Everybody in the boat will drown. And if they hold their hands, they're not only saving them, but they're saving themselves. That they're saving themselves. This example is our example for our lives here. Living in the UK or living in, in North America. And you'll see, subhanAllah, when the punishment of Allah Azza comes to the people, if it comes, do we think that some magical carpet will come and lift us up and take us to paradise before the punishment comes? It will not. When the oceans come together and crush the people, the Muslims will be there. And only the people who commanded the good and forbid the evil, they are the only ones who will be saved like we saw in the people of Ashab al-Sabt. When we command the good and forbid the evil, we have to have certain characteristics. Number one is that we have to have knowledge. We have to have knowledge of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to call to. And it's not someone seeing, for example, a fish flapping left and right in, in, the, in the sea, and they feel bad for that, that fish, and they want to save it. So they run into the water, they grab the fish by the tail, come back on shore and throw it on the sand. Happy that they had saved it from the sea, but in fact killing the fish. And many people give da'wah like this. Without knowledge and with ignorance, they push people away from the deen. People that say that I never want to wear hijab, or I never want to do this because of what I've seen from the Muslims. Or the ignorance that, that of the way they, they were taught. So a person needs to have knowledge. The second thing that a person has to have is patience. Because no doubt, when a person commands the good and forbids the evil, there will be people to challenge them. And many times, like here in the UK, they say, oh, the, you know, the, the non-Muslims, they're so nice to us. Because we've never commanded the good and forbidden the evil. We're just quiet, so obviously they're nice to us. As long as you go to your masjid, we go to our church, everybody's happy. But as soon as the believers start getting off of their seats, shutting off their television and doing something about it, then you will see that the adha will begin. The hardships, and so the believer has to have patience in such a situation. Number three is that a person shouldn't forget the goodness that a, pe- uh, that a person has. Even though they may have a sin, a person may make a mistake, they still have goodness with them, and they should recognize this and treat the people in such a way that they still have some goodness and they're not completely uh, full of evil. Fourthly, the person should have hikmah and how they give da'wah. <clears throat> and they should have, number five, kindness when they give the da'wah also. The point of commanding the good and forbidding the evil isn't to release some anger in us. Sometimes you see, maybe uh, a person doesn't have a beard, or a sister not wearing hijab, or something like that, and a person thinks that they have to get angry to show that they really love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have to show their anger, which is not true. The Prophet ﷺ said that we smile in the face of some people, وَقُلُوبُنَا تَلْعَنُهُمْ And our hearts curse them. And the smiling is for what? It's that perhaps they may be guided. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Musa when he sent him to Fir'aun, فَقُولَ لَهُ قَوْلًا لَيِّنًا Say to him, قَوْلًا لَيِّنًا is like soft, very gentle. 
Say to Fir'aun, who was a tyrant of the most evilest people that ever walked the earth, soft words, لَعَلَّهُ يَذَّكَّرَ أو يَخْشَدْ Perhaps that he may remember, perhaps he may fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, when you're giving da'wah to someone, think of it in such a way. Think of, you know, five weeks into the future, or two years into the future, or ten years into the future. Imagine the person accepting the hidayah, accepting the guidance. And then you look at yourself in the future in that situation, and then you ask yourself, go backwards. Go backwards and see, what steps did I take in order to get this person to that level, where they accepted the guidance. And then after you've taken that, those back steps, you then have today your plan for how to go about giving your da'wah to such a person. There are different ways that a person can command the good and forbid the evil. I'm just going to give some uh, mentions of it. Number one is with an encouraging speech, an encouraging lecture. And now I know a lot of times people think whenever there's like uh, youth and they're making trouble and mischief and so on, they think, let's get the shaykh and give him a lecture and then ever after that they'll forever be good. Not always that the hidayah comes just from a lecture. And of course the hidayah is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With a booklet. A booklet highlighting what needs to be encouraged or, um, or perhaps even an email to people. And to give that booklet or something free to people. Not tell them to go buy it yourself, but go and buy it and then maybe give it as a gift to people. Perhaps an Islamic tape. Not a booklet, but maybe a booklet in a tape form and give it as a gift. And I know dua in, in Washington DC, that instead of giving out booklets and pamphlets to people, they give out cassette tapes. And the cassette tape might maximum cost $1, actually in fact maybe 30 cents to, to produce. But when the people get a cassette tape, they're very happy. And they want to listen to it. And you can have your entire da'wah message there on the cassette tape. Perhaps an Islamic magazine or a newspaper or taking advantage of what's available and, and assisting in writing the articles. And sometimes even when someone's doing something wrong, that we don't have to necessarily tell them right then and there that what they're doing is wrong. Perhaps take their email and then send the nasiha, beginning with something good, ending with something good, in the middle, a word of nasiha to them, that they may accept it. Insha'Allah. I want to just inshallah give you um, an example of our community, and I know we're, we're coming towards the end. Our community in Washington DC, because a lot of times, speeches such as this are just um, theory. Are just theory, and lectures upon lectures. They're theory that a person either remembers, or they're sleeping in the class and they don't remember, or they didn't come to the class anyways. But, there needs to be a society of believers. There needs to be a community so that when you go out and you call people to Allah and they ask you, well, where is Allah being practiced? Where is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being worshipped? Then you'll say, come here to our community. This is where the good and evil is, you know, where we command the good, where we forbid the evil. This is where you can meet other people. In our community, it's um, called Dar salam Some of you may know it as Al-Huda School. If you've seen a, a Jum'ah magazine, you may have seen advertisements for Al-Huda School. The larger community is Dar salam of which Al-Huda School is a part of it. But that's not the only project of the community. The whole uh, idea of that uh, society and that community is to build 
a fully functioning Muslim society in Washington, D.C. And it's actually on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. So of the programs that we have are Quran, uh, Quran Institute to pe- teach the people, adults and youths and small children, how to read the Quran. Arabic Institute to teach the people the Arabic. A Zakah Foundation to make sure that we know the poor of our community so that we can pass on the, the money when we collect zakah, we know who needs it in the community and then we pass it on to those people. We have our own businesses. And so our school doesn't run on fundraising, but it, it runs on our own businesses. So if we get money for the school and money for the community, it goes into other, immediately into other projects that will then bring in revenue. Of those projects, we have a market, a market where you can get your books and tapes and your leather th- socks and so on. There's also a restaurant, a part of the community, a catering service, which provides meals for the children and for, you know, after school and so on. Also from the businesses are a Computer Institute to teach these uh, Microsoft programs that everybody's trying to learn and so on, so they can make their, their big money. The school also teaches this, Muslim teachers, because we know half the Muslim ummah is into computers now. So we take the teachers and teach other Muslims and then the revenue from that comes back to the community. One of the, the big um, money providers in the community is also the child care. You call here creche, right? The, the child care and daycare is also the revenue for the school and so on. And, the, and the, the activities go on and on and on and they keep growing. And there's so much going on, so much so that suppose a sister becomes divorced. She has a child. She has nowhere to turn. She may be living in other parts of Washington, D.C. If she has a hardship come upon her, most likely she will move to our community. Because she knows that in our community, that's where she'll be taken care of. And as you heard the shiuch say, that when a Muslim, like, like a sheep, that when they go on their own, that they get eaten alive and they get taken away. But when a Muslim gathers with other Muslimin, when gathers with the other believers, and they create an army of sheep, next time the wolf comes, they'll back off and think twice before approaching the entire flock and go and pray on those uh, singular people. So the practical aspect of all this is for us to establish our communities. To establish communities with the businesses and with everything that a community means. And don't be afraid of people saying that this is ghettoizing and making Muslims into a ghetto. It's not. And even if it was, at least it's a Muslim ghetto and not a, a Kafir ghetto. When the Muslims all gather together, they then realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands them to command the good and forbid the evil. They have to go out and call the people. So by nature of Al-Amr bil-Ma'roof and an al-Mukar, it can never be a ghetto. And if it was a ghetto, it may be the ghetto that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroys. Maybe the ghetto that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroys. When we speak about the kuffar, many people are quick to curse them. They'll say, you know, curse those kuffar and, and so on. But when you look at those kuffar actually, and we're talking about, you know, North America, UK, Europe. When you look at the kuffar and you ask yourself, did anybody really teach them about Islam? Did anybody actually go and pass on the message of Islam to them? I know in North America, and it might be different in the UK because there's so many Muslims, but in North America, most likely, the only connection 
or the only idea they have of the Muslimin are the, that if they say, who are the Muslimin? They'll say, these are the people that double park in front of our homes. These are the people that don't follow the traffic laws and make noise outside when they have gatherings. And you know that the neighbors here are thinking this right now. The neighbors here, even though there are so many Muslims here, maybe someone who's right beside us has not received the message of Allah and His Messenger. So now let's say that this person comes on the Day of Judgment. They're about to be thrown into hellfire. And then they say, Ya Allah, if anyone deserves to be punished, let it be these Muslimin who never told me about Islam. Before we curse them, let's ask ourselves this question. Are we absolved of the sin? Ma'adhiratan ila rabbikum, as we saw in Ashab al Do we have the excuse in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we did our best? Do we have that excuse or not? And everybody should ask their question. Have I done my duty so that when I come before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this entire nation, America and Europe and Canada, and they're all going to hellfire, I'll say, Ya Allah, I did what I was supposed to do. And I fulfilled it. Have we done this or have we not done this? And the responsibility is enormous. Is enormous. If you look over a shopping center, the shopping center is full. And, and I, I contemplated this one. To give da'wah to one person, it may take months of make, befriending them and bringing them to the masjid and talking to them and spending days and nights. And people are very busy. They can't afford that. That's just for one person. Then I said, look at these oceans of people misguided. And we are commanded to get the message to all of them. Because this is our society that we're living in. That how enormous is the duty and how, you know, subhanAllah, how we've not understood it. And how we're sitting back. And that when they say that the average, you know, amount of time a person sits in front of the television is seven hours a day or four, five, six, seven hours. Do not think that the Muslims are not part of this. They are also wasting their lives following this channel and that channel while the, their neighbors right around them are falling and dying in their kufr. Subhanallah, in our, in our communities, a lot of times people come up to the microphone when they're giving their shahada. They're saying, Ashhadu an la ilaha illa, ashhadu anna Muhammadur Rasulullah. They're giving their shahada. And then they may give a little speech and they'll say, well, I've known Muslims in my life, you know, maybe 15 years ago, my workers and people around me were Muslim. And he said, only yesterday, someone invited me to Islam. And I said, yeah, I want to become Muslim. Thank you for inviting me. And then they became Muslim. But they said for 15 years, they were right beside the Muslimin and the Muslims never in their life in those years said anything about Allah and His Messenger. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't put it as a responsibility upon us that we guide the hearts. That's not our duty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides the hearts, not us. And so a person shouldn't think, well, they're not going to accept Islam. That's not our problem. Our problem and our responsibility is to get the message to them. Accepted or not accepted, that's their problem. But our duty and our excuse in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that we got the message out to them. So then when we say getting the message out to people, we have to have marketing teams. And use all the skills of the kuffar to spread their batil and spread their dolal and spread their misguidance. Use all of those marketing skills 
to get the message of Islam out to the people. And not that when we give our, our da'wah message, our booklets have spelling mistakes in them, and you know the paper's not proper, and it's not being handed out and distributed properly. This is the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it should show in the way that we stand up for it, that we are carrying the message of Allah and His Messenger to these people. All of us want to be successful. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an teaches us how to be successful. And so we take that path. Allah Azza Jalla says in the Qur'an, وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةٌ يَدْعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ وَيَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Let there arise out of you a group who invite the people to all good. Enjoining the ma'roof, enjoining the good, وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنَ الْمُنْكَرِ And forbidding the evil. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأُولَئِكَ That these people who take this path, path, هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ that they are the successful ones. Inshallah, with that we'll conclude. If I've said anything wrong, it's from me, and everything good is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka atubuni. Jazakumullah khair, Ustaz Muhammad Sharif, for his lecture on being the best neighbors in society. Now we'll have, we've got about 10 minutes for questions and answers. Um, if people have got questions in writing, then if they can pass the questions on uh, to some of the stewards here or up to the top of the table. Uh, otherwise, we can take questions from the floor if you raise your hands. Um, I will start with the brother in grey at the back there. Okay, inshallah, if someone has a question, if you could just write it down because it's, it's, we only have like five minutes. So if you could bring up the questions in written form, we might take those questions. Okay, this question it says, Assalamu alaikum, can you please comment on the reckless use of the word kafir when talking about non-Muslims? It was not from the language and practice of the Prophet ﷺ to describe them like this. The, the word he would say, a man from the polytheist, in some cases the Muslim might see a white person and immediately refer to them as a kafir, but they could be Muslim. Okay, speaking about this, in fact, because um, recently we, we did a tafsir class and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the mushrikeen using the term uh, kafir, such as in Surah Al-Kafirun, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did speak about that. But I was quick to tell the people in the class that these ayat were talking about people who had disbelieved out of arrogance. After knowing the truth, they had disbelieved. And they had turned their backs. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in fact uses the word kathib a lot to describe, uh, to describe what they did. However, a kafir is a kafir whether they know it or not. So if a person says, don't call this person kafir, call them a non-Muslim. The person is a kafir whether they know it or not. But now comes a different uh, path of how do we give da'wah? Are we quick to say, excuse me kafir, 
and then and then speak to them. Because you'll see in Surah Al-Kafirun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the, the firmness of the ayat, and it's actually to put them down. Allah says in Surah Al-Bayna, لَمْ يَكُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ مُنْفَكِينَ حَتَّى تَأْتِيَمُ الْبَيْنَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will speak about the Ahl al-Kitab and say, أَلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ And it's actually an action verb. It's a, it's a, it's a fi'l. الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ And the mushrikeen here is a noun. Because the Ahl al-Kitab, their kufr came upon them, that they were following you know, the books before, and then the kufr came upon them, the mushrikeen from the very beginning were on their misguidance. <clears throat> However, when a person... Like the people that we're looking out there, the reason we say um, this gentleness that, that needs to be, because they've never heard about Islam. But when they do hear about Islam, and when they turn their backs on the deen, as, as Sheikh Mamdouh will tell you, um, one of his teachers was asking him that, uh, do you think or, or do you believe that I will be in hellfire? And Sheikh Mamdouh uh, said to that teacher, that because they had so many discussions about Islam, and the teacher completely knew the, uh, what Islam uh, required of them, that he said, I have no doubt in my mind that if you die on what you believe in now, that you'll be from the people of hellfire. No doubt. And that shocked the teacher. Because normally in North America, they think, that, oh, everything's okay. You'll be in one side of paradise, we'll be on the other, or something like that. But it's not true. Look in Surah Al-Bayyina also, Allah Azza wa Jal is saying, speaking about the Bayyina, the message of Islam, the Prophet ﷺ, the Qur'an, all the guidance that came to them. Allah Azza wa Jal says that, that they disbelieved after the true guidance and clear and for sure that they knew the Prophet ﷺ like they knew their child like they would know, uh, know their son or daughter, and then they disbelieve. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أُولَٰئِكَ هُمْ شَرُّ الْبَرِيَّةِ That they are the most wretched and the most evilest of creation. Not that they're bad, that they are the most wretched people because of choosing this path. And so when you hear the hadith when the Prophet ﷺ said, that there's not a Jew or Christian that hears of me and then doesn't believe in me, except that there are people in hellfire. We understand this um, in such a way. Okay, this question says, uh, this is the last question, so, because of the time. It says, to get the message of Islam, number one, how do we start, where do we begin? And number two is, what do we say, bearing in mind that we need to break the ice first? Okay, firstly, there's different techniques in giving uh, da'wah, and, uh, and things like this you can benefit from the way the, the, the books on, like, sales and marketing, if you look at those books on how to do a sale, you can see uh, many techniques that you can use even to speak to people about Islam. Even to speak to people about Islam. So for example, of those techniques, and these things actually you'll find in the sunnah of Rasulullah such as smiling. If a person smiles at someone, the person can feel bad about the person that's smiling. If you have a frown, 
then the person can hate you in such a, you know. But if you smile, you can hate someone that's smiling at you. From there. And then the, these issues of breaking the ice. Look at, read those books on how to start conversations with people in elevators, or you call them lifts here, or other places. How to start conversation. Use that, those beginning introductions. And then, and subhanAllah, people do this in their business. If you're running a business and you make a conversation with the person, most likely you've won over that customer, he'll come back to your shop. So next time you go to a shop and someone's talking to you nicely, many times it's because they want your business. They don't really want to talk to you. But a technique like that, breaking the ice with them first, and like I said, that there's so many ways to do this, and then you start putting in this message, and at least they go, you know, you should become Muslim. Just a statement like that. And subhanAllah, they won't forget it, that, that they were invited to Islam. There's uh, a couple of questions here, I, I know the, the lecture's over, about how do we cope with the post-9-11 uh, and so on. SubhanAllah, with these, the main thing is that the Muslim goes forward with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands. And I've seen a lot of people, and there are people working on the post-9-11, how do we cope with it and stuff. And some Muslims are going forward saying things that aren't part of our deen, just to please the kuffar. Other ones are trying to, you know, change the masjid so that it's pleasing to the kuffar. This is not how we cope with it. But in fact, we cope with it by practicing the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by commanding the good and forbidding the evil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّا عَطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْثَرَ فَصَلِّ لِرُبِّكَ وَانْحَرْ إِنَّ شَانِيَكَ هُوَ الْأَبْتَى The Prophet wasallam. there was a man, and, and in fact he's cut off, and I won't even mention his name. Nobody knows who he is. Does anybody know who the person is who commented about this surah being revealed? He is al-abta. He's cut off. This verse in the beginning, verse 1, speaks about a refutation of this person. And verse 3 speaks about a refutation. Verse 2 says, فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَا And in fact saying that, and the ulama of tafsir said, don't focus all your attention on coping with backlash and so on. That turn your attention to the ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And do your duty and don't be overwhelmed with these things. فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَرْ Ibadah of our bodies, salah, and ibadah of our wealth, the nahr, which is the sacrifice, our wealth and our bodies, in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is how we cope, by doing our duty to Allah azza wa jal. After that, whatever happens for us, is good. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, in asabahu. That even if, if someone, something bad happens to them, they're patient and it's better for them. And if something good happens to them, they are thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's better for them. And this is only for the believer. It's only for the believer. And this is how we cope. And we have to finish now because the next session starts in about 10-15 minutes time. We do need a small break. So do come back on time, inshallah. Next session will be at 10, uh, 10.45 a.m. inshallah.